0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: We always gravitate towards the stories of real people, you know, and it's the idea that, you know, there are everyday heroes around us.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today?
2: Um, Mike, my mind is, my brain is fried right now.
0: Oh, been out to Colorado, have you?
2: No, like... I feel like my brain is about to explode.
0: Oh, all right. Little uh little Thursday fun day, huh?
2: No, it's because of all this assistance package stuff that's been announced.
0: Exactly. That's what I figured I was yeah. you know trying to lead okay. you astray. Thanks. Lead you into the weeds, take you towards Satan, so to speak.
2: No, I'm good.
0: Good. Good for you. You you withstood the test. Your this was your trial <laughs> in the wilderness. I'm Thank glad you. you passed. Thank you. Um, yes. So listeners, for those of you who have been working today and not all that tuned in to the BS that comes out of Washington, <laughs> D.C., Delaney and I luckily have been doing that for you. Earlier this morning, I was on the media call with Secretary Sonny Perdue, Undersecretary Bill Nordy, Ted McKinney, Greg Ibach, and a few other, uh I guess, USDA type of people. And, um. They unveiled officially the new MFP market facilitation program, mm-hmm. and it turns out it is nothing like the plan that was posted on Monday by the Trump yeah. administration, and it turns out it is just uh, well,
2: kind of still a work in progress. It wasn't posted by the Trump administration. It was posted by Bloomberg, right. Reuters, and other agencies.
0: Right. sourced to the Trump administration. Right. But uh, yeah, you're exactly right, Delaney. We all kinda jumped the gun on that deal here in two social for soybeans. That's not the case. Four cents for corn, not the case, and sixty-three cents, I think, for wheat. Not the case. Instead, this round of MFP payments is going <sighs> to be it's gonna be fourteen and a half billion dollars mm-hmm. divided up into three separate payments. Theoretically. Yeah, 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 all of this, all of this is still theoretical. Uh, but this is what they said on the call. So we at yeah. least know it's coming from the administration. Yep. We've got a little bit of faith in it. Um, they are going to break this up. They do expect the first payment to be the bigger of mm-hmm. the three. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be based on any kind of corn or soybean or wheat plantings this year. Instead, the USDA is going to calculate a payment rate per county looking at We don't know, but I assume historical planting data and which commodities have been harmed by the trade war. And they're looking at not just at the trade war with China. Now, we're also including damages caused by tariffs going into the EU and Turkey. And they're not just looking back over the past 10 months. They're looking back. Uh, They didn't give a firm range, but it sounded as though Secretary Perdue said five years.
2: Oh, they're looking back for trade influence from five years ago?
0: Yes. Yes. So this is kind of a a catch up payment for Hmm. all of these past trade war issues. So it's going to be interesting. Delaney, I know Mm -hmm. you've listened to that call. I recorded it this morning. Folks uh, will we might play some clips from it if we can figure out which parts of it actually matter to play. But it was 40 minutes and I didn't get any smarter.
2: Yeah, I think it. I think, if anything, this round of payments confuses folks a lot more. So I've been trying to do some research and catch up myself, and um, we're working right now to hopefully bring on Scott Irwin, who's over there at Illinois Illinois State or Illinois Extension, um, to... He's to the University
0: of Illinois, farm guy. Yeah, okay, on.
2: yep, yep, to yep. so hopefully provide some clarity. But here is kind of what I have figured out from unpacking all of this. So everything, Mike, you've said so far is true. Um, The first round of payments, it looks like, is going to be July or August. And the thing that I think is confusing is these payments are based off of a basket of commodities. So all grains are getting lumped into one payment rate. So regardless of if you the way i They're understand it are all getting
0: lumped into the category that will determine the county's payment rate
2: well right but regardless of if you pet, if you plant corn soybeans rye rapeseed canola etc you're going to get the same payment rate for other producers in your county
0: yes yes so on a per acre basis right. i think
2: so it's based on acres planted It's kind of a combination of things from the formula. From what I expect, it's acres planted, historical yields for that county, and also, I don't know how they're figuring this out, but impact that your specific county has had because of tariffs and trade war, etc.,
0: Yeah, so my guess is, and again, this is just me spitballing here, I think what they're going to do is, let's, for example, look at Grundy County, Iowa. Mm -hmm. They're on a corn and soybean rotation, a lot of corn on corn ground up there. So if soybeans are the hardest hit by this trade war, which at least they are with China, the soybean ratio for Grundy County is going to be a little bit smaller than in a Southern Iowa County where they're on a true 50-50 ratio and they plant mm-hmm. more beans more often looking at historical data. I imagine they're going so, to go off FSA acreage numbers. Right. And, One of uh, the questions
2: and, that was yeah. raised, um, I, I saw this question on Twitter. I thought it was a great question. What if you're a, what if you are planting something that the county doesn't have production history for? Like what if you plant rapeseed or canola or something in a county that has traditionally not planted that commodity?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Or I I suppose a similar question could be looked at with soybeans in some parts of North and South Dakota Mm -hmm. where they've just recently, you know, broken that ground and put beans in.
2: Yeah. So that's one of the questions Another piece of this puzzle that I think is going to absolutely affect acreage for this year is prevent plant acres will not be included. So if you opt in and decide to take prevent plant on some of your ground, you cannot apply for assistance package on those acres.
0: Okay, so they're still distorting the market.
2: Yes, that's kind of what it sounds like here, to me at least
0: okay, I didn't catch that on the phone call, so we're going to have to do some digging. That's phenomenally stupid if that's their if that's what they're doing.
2: Right, because, I mean, you look at it and you think, okay, well, maybe people physically cannot get corn acres in, but they want to get this payment, so then they're going to switch to beans or wheat or something else that maybe we obviously don't really need right now in the marketplace.
0: Right. I mean, this is still going to push folks to grow beans, I would think, because of their yeah. later
2: planting date. Yeah. So... That's kind of the puzzle unpacked a little bit. We're going to try, like I said, and get some other folks smarter than Mike and I on the podcast to unpack this a little bit more. But President Trump is also addressing the nation's farmers today. As we are recording it, he is about to go live here. He's chatting at 2.15 Central Time or 3.15 Eastern Time. And that is right now while we're recording this. So I am going to be refreshing here on Twitter, pulling up my handy daddy tweet machine and if anything... um, If anything important gets said here over the next couple of minutes, I'll be sure and jump in with that as well.
0: Excellent. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, we don't need to tune in. It's going to be political gobbledygook.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking mm, probably... I'm
0: so burnt out on politics already, (laughs) and we're just now entering the 2020 cycle. Yeah.
2: So, interesting stuff. Definitely not easier than uh, the last round of payments. This is absolutely 100% harder than last year's payments.
0: Yes. And it seems as though they brought this on themselves by announcing it so quickly. They could have said,
2: yeah,
0: we will be looking at a second round of MF pay payments, MFP payments. Details will be announced in June. Well, and that's then, part of it, too, is folks
2: are upset because it's like I mean, I think uh, Senator Grassley was even like this is stupid. This was a stupid move. You should have waited until after planting decisions were made. But then on the other hand, it's like you're kind of just guessing. I mean, whatever you plant is what you plant. So I don't know. You don't know Which, what the payment rate is. And it's like, so right. what should I plant?
0: And it shouldn't matter because it's going right. to be determined. As long as you get some acres in the ground, it sounds like, and don't take PP, you're going to get covered for those acres based on the basket of commodities right. that they're comparing county to county. This is,
2: yeah, it's, this uh, is a, it's a mess. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, I want to still talk politics because we friggin' have to, but, uh. <laughs> This is good news. This is good news. The U.S. House and Senate negotiators have reached a deal on a compromise bill. They're going to pass a 19.1 billion dollar disaster aid bill. This will include um, money for Puerto, Puerto Rico. Yep. It will include money for flood damages. The only thing it does not include is any sort of mitigation payments for the, quote, uh, Migrant surge as the humanitarian
2: southern. needs.
0: Right, right, yeah. exactly. But it sounds as though this is going to have bipartisan support, and uh, uh, Republican Senator Richard Shelby said there could be a Senate vote on the legislation as early as today, and in the Senate. Uh, Chuck Schumer confirmed that Democrats have backed the legislation yep. and they were the hold up earlier. So, yes, this one sounds like it's going to be successful. The House has already passed. And uh, um, we'll do I don't the think
2: the House has passed it yet.
0: They haven't passed this one, but they passed right. their earlier form of disaster. Yeah, so
2: what I read on that today was the House has already left for recess. So it doesn't sound like this is going to be finished by Memorial Day weekend like everybody was promising. And it does sound like President Trump has written off or okayed the deal so it sounds like once it's passed in congress the president should sign off on it as well
0: all right all right well here we go we got some positive news coming out of dc there if you are one of those folks affected by the flooding earlier this spring
2: yes it sounds like finally we've got some positive news <laughs>
0: All right, what other news do you have for us, Delaney?
2: Well, we continue to watch the African swine fever story, and we know that uh, U.S. and Canada have been working diligently to come up with a plan, and it has been announced in a joint statement that U.S. and Canada have agreed to swine fever zones, essentially, so that if African swine fever does break out in the US or Canada, swine and pork trade will continue between those two countries. So, essentially, um, what they're doing is putting together zones or zone mapping the US and Canada. So, then once or if a disease outbreak occurs in part of those zones, they will quarantine that area and uh, follow the affected or follow the World Organization for Animal Health as far as guidelines for that, but essentially, quarantine those zones but still allow at least the uh, pork to be transferred and traded between the two countries.
0: From the other zones, yeah. the non-quarantine
2: yep. zones. Yep, exactly.
0: All right. All right. Well, good. That's, that's good news. It's good to have a disaster plan in place, absolutely, because, yeah, you know, odds are good it's going to wind up here eventually.
2: Yes, it sounds like that will likely be the case.
0: Well, I've got some other news, what is also likely going to be the case. We have talked about this a lot. Of course, I am a free trader. I am opposed to tariffs. And um, we got an update here from the New York Federal Reserve. They have done an economic study, and they have found just the newest round of tariffs. So this is the 15% bump on the $250 billion, excuse me, $200 billion of Chinese imports is going to cost the typical American household $831 a year. And remember, folks, this is eight hundred and thirty one dollars in extra taxation you are paying for choosing to buy goods at whatever store you buy goods at. So basically every American just faced a thousand dollars a year tax hike thanks to just this 15 percent bump in Mm. tariffs. If we do put 10 or 25 percent tariffs on the remaining 300 plus billion dollars worth of Chinese imports, You know, we're going to probably more than double that figure. Now we're looking at about a $2,000 additional tax bill for American citizens.
2: It's interesting you say that because um, I've been talking to some folks and had some folks reach out. I don't remember where they quoted this from, but they said Purdue made a statement saying that the Chinese are paying for for these tariffs, not U.S. consumers. But this goes against that statement, would it not?
0: Yes. Secretary Perdue. I was on the call when Secretary Perdue said that there was a reporter from ABC who who asked and. um they had uh, – who said, you know, isn't it true that American consumers are mm-hmm. paying and not the Chinese? And I think Secretary Perdue misunderstood the question. Oh. He said that this money isn't coming directly from the tariffs. It's coming instead from the the CCC, the, uh, the, uh, the Commodity Credit Corporation. But President Trump views it as one big pot. Tariff money is instead going to the Treasury. But, yes, tariffs that are, in theory, funding this – MFP program are all additional taxes paid by U.S. citizens and businesses on goods they bring in from China.
2: Yeah. So maybe he just misunderstood the question, I guess. I,
0: I, I think he did, because somebody had asked earlier about what's the mechanism for bringing tariff money over to USDA to fund this program. And he said, well, statutorily, we can't do that. So we're using CCC funds. But the Treasury is getting matched by these tariff increases. So that was, okay. I think, where, where he thought he, the question was going. But uh, I, I do believe he misspoke. I do hope he clarifies that this is not Chinese money mm-hmm. paying farmers. This is American money going to pay farmers, American money paid by our fellow citizens in extra taxation. Now that's what's giving oh. us this rebate on the farm side.
2: So the uh, $831 figure that you mentioned, that mm-hmm. is because of this new assistance package?
0: Uh, no, that is because of the tariffs. OK, so that's that's the additional tariff cost. We're all the average American family is going to pay
2: because of the, the, the latest round of tariffs.
0: Yes, exactly. But
2: then they haven't done anything yet that says you also add taxation because of this new assistance package. Am I understanding all that correctly?
0: Nope, nope. So this <laughs> ad, this, this additional taxation, this eight hundred and thirty one dollars uh-huh. is extra taxes that every American is paying because our country has put tariffs on imports. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. And then Secretary Perdue is using about 15% of that new tax money
2: to fund this MFP. Oh, Okay. Gotcha. Does
0: does that clear it up?
2: Yeah, my brain is really hurting today. I tell you what, this is the most thinking I've done in some time.
0: And it's such a convoluted topic and it's such a convoluted way that tariffs are explained because we put tariffs on Chinese goods. So it sounds like, well, the Chinese are paying it. Yeah. No we're paying it when we bring it into the country. It's an import tax paid by the importer and then typically passed on to consumers.
2: Okay. I think I, I think I follow all that now.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. And folks you know, feel free to tweet at us. If this is a, a net gain to the country, if you think $831 is a fair price to pay to encourage more folks to buy American, let us know. Uh, find us. Tweet at us. Uh, Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter. What are your thoughts? You know, I'm, I'm pretty well opposed to this thing, but I'm absolutely willing to listen to uh, other people's opinions. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. So uh, by all means, jump on there and share with us. We'd love to hear it.
2: Yes, absolutely. Agreed on that one. Um, the only other piece of news I really had for today, Mike, was related to the u s m c a agreement It felt like maybe we had some positive sentiment earlier this week. It sounded like mm-hmm. okay, we're gonna get it passed, a lot. yeah, yeah now, after a hearing on Wednesday, it sounds like House Democrats may insist on yet another change or changes to the u s m c a trade pact um and I don't know why, but uh that's what we've heard coming out of d c as of today, so It sounds like such changes would ensure that Mexico follows through with implementing promised changes in labor standards. That's really, I guess, what they want to ensure. But it sounds like now maybe we're not so close as we thought before.
0: Well, and, you know, I think we're just getting started ramping up the fight to USMCA. We'll probably see Christia Freeland, Canada's foreign minister, make some overtures to American Democrats here in the coming weeks. I think you're right. It's going to be a slog to get this through through the Canadian Parliament, the Mexican Congress and the U.S. Congress to actually get it signed. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, at least at least we're talking about it. At least it's moving in the right direction.
2: Yes. And okay, wait, I got I got one other breaking update here that just got sent to me. Um, it sounds like Senate leaders have released a final text version of the disaster aid package that could clear the House or clear the Senate today and would clear the House by what they're assuming to be a unanimous consent.
0: Oh, wow.
2: But the House is already at recess. Gosh, so we haven't had have to be any na-
0: bill with unanimous yeah. consent in some time.
2: It'll have to be after the okay, uh, well. Memorial Day recess. So 10 days away, I think, is when they come back.
0: Yeah, we're making progress.
2: We're making progress.
0: Uh, Folks, as we dig into that text, we will uh, give you an update on exactly what to expect from this disaster aid bill, probably on tomorrow's episode, I would think, Delaney. I
2: think that sounds right, Mike.
0: Well, speaking of disasters, we've got a red on the green screen today. What do you think? Should we take a look at the markets? Well, let's do it. All right, folks in our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with them anytime. Help manage your marketing risk by giving them a shout, 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, dot com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As we look in the corn market, July corn down four and three quarters at 389 and three quarters. December also down four and three quarters. Close the day at 408. 408- in the soybean pits, the July was down seven cents at eight twenty-one and a half. November new crop also down seven, closed at eight forty-eight and a quarter. And Chicago wheat looking today, the July was down two and a half cents, four seventy and a quarter. September also down two and a half, finished the day at four seventy-eight and a quarter. Looking over. Stock side, we did see cattle catch a bid today. June live cattle up 15 cents at 110.80. The August up 20 cents, closed at 108.15. And in feeder cattle, the August contract was up 42.5 cents at 143.02.50. September up 12.5, finished at 144. Even. And in the lean hog market front, the weakness, the deferreds had slight strength. The June was down 22.5 cents at 89.42.50, with the July down 10 to close at $90.99. Now, there was a little bit of strength in the dairy market. As we jump over and take a look at free milk, the May contract was up a nickel at 1638, with the June up 11 seconds on the day, finished at 1645. Well, Delaney, why don't you tell us who are we talking to for interview today?
2: I would love to, Mike. We are chatting with the executive producer of the show that maybe you've seen on TV called The American Farm I believe it's on the History Channel, if I'm not mistaken. So it's Jeff Conroy yes, with Bobcat Studios discussing the end of this show, which airs tonight. So be sure and catch it. It does. Um, and But let's hear from Jeff about that show. Well, we're talking about maybe another media outlet that's presenting the life of agriculture mainstream more so this time we're talking to Jeff Conroy CEO of Bobcat Studios and also the executive producer of a program that maybe you've caught on TV called The American Farm and Jeff tell us a little bit about the idea that was put together and how you decided to create this program a docu series of sorts called The American mm-hmm. Farm
1: well, uh, first off, Blaney, uh thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, Mike. Um, the you know the what's interesting about this is uh, the the story of getting this show on the air is also like somewhat of a, uh, a you know it's, it's a bit of a triumph in terms of getting the uh, the opportunity to do it. I mean, my partner Tom Beers is so incredibly passionate about this idea for years. And that we literally, I think it was seven years that we're out pitching this thing and trying to get, you know, a you know a network to to take, um, you know, to to tell this story. You know, we thought, you know, you know, we're like, this is the, this is, we even say it in the open, this is the great untold story. And in so many ways, that's true. This is a story that everyone thinks they know what a farm is, what farm life is like. We all have these many people have these idealistic thoughts or these kind of half ideas, or maybe they come from a family that used to farmism, but like, you know, when you get down in there and you embed and you live with the people who are working this, you know, on these farms day in and day out, like it's a whole nother story. And um, you know, so, so the process of getting there was a long one and it was a lot of, Uh, A lot of pitching, a lot of casting, a lot of saying like, look, these are these are this is a really great story to be told. I was going to say, it is a great story. And
0: part of the the fascinating thing with the American farm is you, you didn't just follow one family. You're not taking a single snapshot right. look at one aspect of American agriculture. You've dug into five different farms and and year with them. talk a, a little bit about how you ended up finding these families. What about their stories were compelling to mm-hmm. you? And why did you want to bring right. them onto television?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So. Um, we did look, we, we looked, we literally, you know, had a map and we looked at, you know, uh, across the country, wanted to try to give a, a wide look, you know, in different farms and different crops and different parts of the country. You know, we wanted to, to give the best sampling um, or, you know, a, a sense of, and then um, we also wanted to choose farms that were obviously first great characters, people we wanted to spend time with, we wanted to hear their story, but then also like farms, at kind of critical moments, right? You know, you want to, you want to have a character group that, you know, they're either, they're at a, they're at a, uh, a pivotal point that is a transition. So, you know, we had um, generational changes. We had like the Robertson's farm uh, in um, New Hampshire you know, their youngest son was graduating college and, and coming back. And now with three other, with two other boys, that's, you know, that's four families that have to be supported. Right. So now that doesn't work for, for, you know, their small dairy operations. So they needed to expand. So that was, that was one of the reasons they were very interesting um, on the Sunderland's farm in Utah, you know, you have, uh, the daughter, uh, you know, one of the daughters of, of uh, a farmer, the main farmer there is, is um, you know, loves farming. She wants to do it with her her husband. So now you have how do they accommodate for the next generation and, and kind of pass on on that? Um, you have, um, I mean, actually, a lot of it is generational. You know, the Boyd Farm in Virginia, you know, He's looking to get his son involved a son who who didn't really grow up with him in a traditional sense you know his the parents were divorced and so his son was more of a suburban kid you know and so here he is like trying to get a thirty year old man to uh you know to to transition to farming or to become a farmer and it's it's interesting and then uh on the Myers in Alaska um, you know they were um, they were really trying to prove that growing in this harsh environment, um, essentially in the tundra there, was possible and then trying to expand it. So that, that's a big thing for them. And then, you know, the Griggs were, um, you know, in Tennessee. Um, they were, you know, we, we, we loved their family dynamic. We loved how you could see the, the, the generations play out all the way down to their, their you know, nine-year-old. And, um, you know, and they also were, you know, they were, they were also, um, you know, growing cotton and different co- crops like that. And, of course, they were also needing their, you know, 110-year-old farm that also needed to make some changes in order to survive the economy. So they were also at a pivotal point. So it kind of tried to go broad, try to get a diverse group of characters, and then also catch them at a moment in time.
2: Yeah, that's really uh, that's interesting. That's a very long-winded
1: answer. <laughs> no,
2: no, that's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of folks struggle with the transition period, and it's it's nice to see it maybe highlighted at more of a national level because sometimes we feel like an act where the flyover states or maybe mainstream folks don't notice us as much. But, Jeff, tell me, how did you, you – you explained the kind of the why behind doing it, but how did you get the idea originally? You mentioned before we started recording that you're – they're in LA are you from a farm originally or how did you come up with this idea
1: no no I mean you know look the the idea we you know our past shows especially uh with my partner Tom Beers um we always gravitate towards the stories of real people you know and it's the idea that you know there are everyday heroes around us and that's something that we've always kind of wanted to tell those stories you know so you know we, you know we you know we told the story of fishermen on the Bering Sea with deadliest catch we were able to tell the story of you know loggers with axemen and you know ice road truckers with ice road truck like like the, telling the stories of people who make our world work you know um, and then always you know there's that element of risk and reward that is always attractive in any storytelling for us so, we, it made sense. So, you know, we, we, you know, I keep, I keep adding them on. You know, we, we were with coal miners in West Virginia. We're on the rigs in West Texas. So, you know, it's always interesting to me when you look at our world and, you know, for the most part, everyone, You know, they walk into a grocery store, they get their package thing, they walk out, they scan it, they pay for it. You know, nowadays you might not even have to interact with a human in that process. You go, you know, and you cruise through. Um, I always am drawn to telling stories that change the way we look at our world. So, you know, if you walk into a grocery store now and, you know, you're going to buy that vegetable or buy even – uh, you know, like a tortilla that's got corn and whatever else. I would like the idea of you thinking about how that got there. You know, who did it? You know, who who went to the effort of putting that seed in the ground, you know, taking care of it, you know, with with their livelihood on the line to make sure it grew into that corn stalk and then the process of all that. Like that to me is always very fascinating. And, and you know, that grew. And a lot of those jobs and a lot of people that do those fall into the category of you know high risk, high reward and dangerous jobs you know you, you search on the internet you know simple internet search and you go what is uh, you know the uh, most dangerous job? you know well certainly some of the ones I mentioned and certainly farming is up there. so we're always kind of drawn to that that you know the people who make our world work and can we tell those stories and celebrate those stories you know? Absolutely. And, you know, when
0: I think about some of the other programs you've mentioned, Jeff, the the audience gets drawn into the personal drama of the characters. We get sucked into their lives. I'm a huge Deadliest Catch fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gosh, sure. how, how many seasons has that been on now?
1: Ah, uh, God, I think it's probably. I'm going to mess it up. I think it's
0: fifteen now. I yeah, I was thinking twelve, fifteen years. We we've been enmeshed in this life. As you look mm-hmm. ahead for the American farm, is that that mm-hmm. same type of model you'd like to go? Do you see yourself going back yeah. every every year I I mean, for a couple to. of years, of really building that relationship?
1: I, I would really love to, and I think that you know you know, season two and progressive seasons on the show are, are magical in many ways because you are able to really get to know your characters at such a higher level and you're able to tell much more advanced stories. Um, And I think the more advanced those stories, you know, the more they connect with your audience, the more people go, you know, like, you know, you miss things in those early seasons because, you don't really know, but but as you advance, you understand that character, you know what that character may or may not do to some degree. You kind of get to, you kind of have some, some kind of spidey sense on how they work and you can, as a producer or a cameraman, you can anticipate and put yourself in the position so that we can tell a full story, you know? And, uh, I, you know, look, I love doing shows where we in bed, you know, where we are with the people, you know, morning and night, getting up in the morning and, 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 and that you can't replicate that. You can't replicate that time with someone, you know, you, you, you will capture moments. You will be witness to things that are authentic and real. You might catch it if you're there in and out for a short period of time, but there is, it's hard to replace being, embedded in in the moment and i think audiences today are constantly craving authentic real moments they don't want to be overly produced to they don't want to be lied to they want they want to
2: know
1: they want to feel the real deal you know and i think that you you know there's no way to do that but to really embed with with um you know your subjects
2: absolutely and this has been such a cool project Jeff, before we let you go, you're kicking off your, the end of this series here. Tell us how folks mm-hmm. can catch that, or if they haven't seen any of the other previous episodes, is there somewhere online they can watch it as well?
1: Well, I believe they can do it through the uh, History, History app, um, but also you, know, you, can, you can tune into the History channel. Here it's uh, 10 p.m. Uh, Pacific, I think, uh, well, it might be 9 Central, but it's, uh, it's, uh, easy to find on your local listing and it's on Thursday night tonight, or I'm sorry, tomorrow night. <laughs> Don't watch tonight, watch tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, Thursday night. And listen, like, uh, obviously I'm crazy biased, but the, I really think that this finale, this episode eight is, uh, a beautiful show in many ways. I think. Certainly aesthetically, it's just, you know, I mean, there's what a a great palette of a farm to work with, to work with. But uh, we really see the culmination of, you know, a year of hard work and it it comes down to this. And, you know, I mean, a lot of us, it's hard to imagine that our entire, you know, fortune, you know, plus or minus for the year comes down to a very tiny period of time. And that's why, you know, like I wish every episode was was <laughs> was a was an episode eight because you get so much that's happening here. It really comes down to where everybody is, and I think that this episode, uh, to me, was very emotional, and and I felt like there's some just, you know, some good, some great triumphs of the spirit. And to, if you love these characters, I feel like it's it's, you know, it's, it's a great experience.
0: Fantastic. Folks, be sure to check it out, the History Channel, Thursday, May 23rd at 10 p.m. Jeff, thank you so much for your work on this program, and thanks so much for taking the time Uh, to talk to us today.
1: I appreciate it, and thank you for asking. I could talk all day. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Well, be sure to tune in tonight at uh, I think he said nine central time to watch the conclusion of the American farm. And, then, you know, I, I'm kind of sad they didn't talk to any Midwestern farmers, uh, you know, yeah, Utah, know. Virginia, Tennessee, New Hampshire. Um, I, I think I, I feel like if Jeff, if you're tuning in next year, let us know. I know a bunch of characters out here in farm country that could uh, really spice up the program.
2: Yeah, I was surprised they didn't really include any what I would consider, I guess, Midwest traditional farm farmers, corn and soybeans, etc. Yeah,
0: commodity commodity crop right. producers on the the Corn Belt.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but maybe next year.
0: Right. Well, folks, exactly. Maybe I mean this is one of those things that uh, you know, deadliest catch uh, always had a couple new people coming in, and yeah. But anyway, listeners. Uh, tune in tonight let us know your thoughts on that program tweet at us find us on facebook and on twitter at ag news daily as i've mentioned or just head to our website go to agnewsdaily.com and let us know your thoughts there's a comment button or sub- you know you can submit a comment right there on the new site at the global ag network check out all the other podcasts that are there and uh and share it share this and get on uh itunes and like it or star <laughs> it or whatever it it. people do on itunes we need we need your help yeah you do what we do.
2: subscribe hit subscribe
0: Alright, well with that folks, I don't know. Delaney should we let him go.
2: Let's let him go.